but I get the storybook. Y'all tucked in? Here we go. Once upon a time, not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived like slugs, where laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good, there lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Me and you tonight, we're gonna make some cash, robbing old folks and making the dash. They did the job, money came with ease, but one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease. He robbed another Pick and another, Pick and a sister and a brother. Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic, he said, Keep still, boy, no need for static. Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap. But little did he know, the little boy was strapped. The kid pulled out a gun, he said, Why'd you hit me? The barrel set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kid he thought to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he cold dashed and ran around a block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. Shot for the head, he shot back, but he missed her. Looked around good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway stations. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building. Ran up the stairs up to the top floor. Opened up a door there. Guess who he saw? Who? Dave the dope fiend shooting dope. Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap? He said, I need bullets. Hurry up, run. The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun. He went outside, but there was cops all over. Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova. Raced up the block doing 83. Crashed into a tree near university. Escaped alive, though the car was battered. Rat-a-tat tatted and all the cops scattered. Ran out of bullets and he still had static. Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic. Pointed out her head, he said the gun was full of lead. He told the cops, back off, for honey, here's dead. Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong. So he let the lady go and he starts to run on. Sirens sounded, he seemed astounded. And before long, the little boy got surrounded. He dropped his gun, so went the glory. And this is the way I have to end this story. He was only what? 17 in a madman's dream. The cops shot the kid, I still hear him scream. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Just another case about the wrong path. Straight and arrow are your soldiers. Yeah. Good night. Talk about the box, Rick. Talk about Rick.
It is my mission to create brand stories for you that push the envelope, force people to stop, think, and take notice. Ride with you on your journey to success by creating great design that makes you look like the originator and not an imitator. Get you out of your comfort zone. Inspire you to take action. Be risky and always stay true to your passion. Tiffany Inc. is located in Los Angeles, California. Tiffany Inc. specializes in designs, creative brands for the entertainment, fashion, beauty, and food industry. Some past and present clients include Jill Osco, J&K Fresh LLC, Celebrity Chef Nikki Shaw, Teen and Family Producer Doreen Spencer, the National Association of Veterans, the Alzheimer's Association, and a host of fantastic others. To contact Tiffany Inc., all you have to do is log on to www.tiffanywithaniinc.com. Sound Shoe, the number one online music tournament, encompasses seven different genres, including hip-hop, R&B, country, reggae, reggaeton, pop, rock, and gospel. Music artists, log on to SoundChew.com to compete for a chance to have exclusive access to music listeners across the globe. Build relationships with other music artists and music professionals, plus maximize your exposure and gain worldwide attention. Music listeners, log on now to enjoy new music from up-and-coming artists, then Vote for the songs you like best to ensure that your favorite artist wins. Also, check out the latest in music news. Music execs and producers, scout music talent to find your next big star. Musicians and voters, sign up for SoundChew today. That's www.soundchew.com. S-O-U-N-D-C-H-E-W. Once again, that's www.soundchew.com. The number one online music tournament. Back, folks, the last Sunday's Rocco P. Also got my brother Rocco Passarcia here on the air right now. Rocco, can you hear us good now? Yes, I can. Thank you. Wonderful. Sorry about the technical difficulties. We did get a message that uh, the Blog Talk, which is our hosting radio site, shout out to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we did get an email that they are off for the holidays. <laughs> So whatever live technical <laughs> problems that we have, we got to deal with it. I know, man, it's crazy. It's bootleg. This is real talk radio. I mean, this is what it is when you do it live, and this, these are the things that we have to deal with. But, uh, hey, Rocco, uh, you know, your show, man, your floor. You, you got the floor on your calls tonight, and uh, whatever I can help you with, I'm at your disposal. Thank you. Thank you. Deeply appreciate this uh this opportunity. Before I forget, I'd like to plug my uh, website. That's uh, www.paradshift.net. A lot of interesting stuff there. I want to talk about uh, Ferguson. A lot of people have talked about it. And I'd like to review some of the things that happened and really talk about the bigger perspective, what, what really is important about Ferguson 
And uh, as usual, uh, the corporate media is not doing their job because I, I really see the corporate media as an extension to a large degree uh, of the government. I mean, there, there's just so many stories that they do not pursue, and it's not due to lack of time or resources. And I, I don't want to get off in a tangent, but did you follow, did you hear the story uh, about that guy, Gruber, the MIT professor, and did, did you did you did you cover any of that, or did you listen to any of those stories about when Gruber was exposed? I I actually haven't. Uh, I, that that's brand new to me, Rocco. I, please enlighten the people. There's a lot of people. You know, when we tweeted this out, or at least from what I know, uh, there was a lot of people who who responded and uh, really wanted to listen to whatever insight we had to offer about this whole Ferguson ordeal. Sure. And uh, so you know, whatever knowledge that you have, and and we also just for reference. Um, the good shout out to the team at KRP Radio Show, man. They were working hard for this show. They have dissected uh, autopsy, uh, uh, actual autopsy uh, reading. Um, that it, it's a three part that I think will be most beneficial. Um, so just let us know when you want to cue that in, and I'll get them to cue that in. But no, I haven't heard about Doctor, you know Gruber. If you yeah. could enlighten us, please. Yeah, it's just an illustration about how. You know, it's obviously I want to talk about Ferguson and the implications of that, which they're huge. But the Gruber thing is really interesting. Gruber was an MIT professor. He was a super high-paid consultant. The White House had paid him around $400,000. He was intimately involved with writing Obamacare, and he was actually the author of the individual mandate. That was that little nasty part of the legislation that said individuals had to buy health insurance. Now, again, that was insane because you couldn't afford health insurance, and then they pass a law that says you have to buy it, and then they fine you to not get it. Are you any better off? No, the insurance companies are who helped write it. But in any case, Gruber, and you can see all this on, on my website, the video, there's, good, there's two really good videos. And uh, Gruber got caught, and he had said before a law was passed, I believe it was before, it might have been after too, there's at least four separate videos where he essentially said the American public is really too stupid uh, to realize what's going on. So we, we wrote this so it would, be, it would be camouflaged, that it wasn't a tax, because if they say it's a tax, if the people hear that word tax, there's no way it will ever get approved. And then I did a little research after the Gruber videos came out, and back in 2007, when then... Senator Obama was running for president. The Washington Post had reported that Gruber was advising him, as well as Hillary Clinton, uh, as well as John Edwards, who was all, all three of the Democratic nominees for president at the time. So Obama had a long track record with this guy, and then when the videos came out where Gruber basically said, we had a lie to get this passed, uh, the White House, as usual, went to spin mode. You know, Both parties do that. Uh, Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, uh, minority uh, Minority leader, Democrats, she denied she knew him. And there was video saying, yeah, how, what a genius he was in the past. But I, I say all this just as an illustration as we get into the Ferguson story. This was a huge story, and it was uncovered by a working-class guy. who was an investmenter in or outside Philadelphia, and he was infuriated. Uh, his rates, his plan got canceled, and then his rates had doubled. And he was looking at somebody, and then he stumbled upon Gruber. So he spent hours after hours after hours. It was all public source documents. He found the videos. And initially, he couldn't even get the corporate media to cover it. 
And their response, I read one piece by Fox News that said they tried to go into uh, cover and said, yeah, we, we just we just don't have the personnel to look at all this video. It's just like they have incredible amounts of money and people working for them. I mean, you talk about people working with you, probably volunteers getting this together about the autopsy. There's tons of information out there, but they only want to cover what fits their narrative. And that's the case what we see here in Ferguson. That's what we see in Ferguson. When this story broke, again, it was unusual uh, right away when, when this had broke in August, when we saw the amount of, ten, of attention that was focused upon this, not to make light uh, about the death of an individual, but let's face it, people get shot, particularly by the police, all the time. And I'm not, I would never make light of that, but this case was, it, it was very, very unusual to me that they want to focus on this case because we didn't have video. A lot of times, you know, there's clear video from multiple, you know, more than one angle because now everyone has these smartphones, you know, they, they record the video. There wasn't video. The eyewitness testimonies were conflicting whether or not Michael Brown's hands were up. And it was a white cop that pulled the trigger on a black man. So this was really, you know, this was like the poster child for the people that are, they want to divide us, the politically correct cultural Marxist. Again, I throw around that phrase, political correctness is not a joke. Cultural Marxism, Marxism is very serious. And I'm not talking about classical Marxism, which is bad enough, which has never worked in any country in the world where they claim the workers of the world would unite and then you know, eliminate, you'd eliminate capitalism and there'd be collective rights, no individual property rights. Uh, that's never worked, never will work. Capitalism, private ownership, of stuff gives us the ability, the incentive to work and produce more, more, more wealth and more jobs, and so on and so forth. But cultural Marxism basically says, as we covered uh, last time, it's this idea that they want to destroy the existing social order. So how do you do that? You create division. You you, you rip it down. You destroy it. So that in that this redefines uh, our problems as everything we want to see. Everything They want us to see everything in terms of a group dynamic. Therefore, if you are robbed by a black person, if you're a black person, you're robbed by a black person, and they beat you, that isn't as bad as if you're robbed and beaten by a white person. And this goes into the idea, too, of hate crimes where they really want to control our speech and our thought. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was Rihanna who said uh, not to use the word bossy. Uh, that was part of the feminist, yeah, feminist political correctness, cultural Marxism. They want to, they think it's wrong for someone to use the word bossy about a woman because that's bad. They, you know, they, don't, they don't want woman basically saying anything is wrong, you know, with male leadership. So you know, they, they, well, they want to encourage basically rebellion. So you just get rid of words that are bad. So a woman shouldn't call another woman bossy because they said so. So. You look at this Ferguson case, and they wanted to focus on it because it had all the elements that they needed for controversy. Again, there was no clear video. There was no there was no video period. There was conflicting eyewitness testimony. Did he or, did he or did he not have his arms up? And it had the racial dynamic. It was it was a white cop shooting a black man. And sad to say, I think you'd agree with me. If on if everything was the same, and it was a black it was a black police officer who fired the trigger, probably would have never heard about him. But 
This is this is the way they roll. This is this is what they want us to do. So this stuff, you know, this comes out, and initially, then, I mean, th- there were some there were some rioting. You have the timeline. Uh, what what purpose always does that serve? Okay, some people would say uh, people have to express themselves. That there's got to be some type of outlet. But obviously, all the rioting does is help destroy the community. I mean, that's yeah, that's it. it individuals aren't helped. But this goes back into the group dynamic. And the goal, a lot of people don't realize it, of what political correctness and the cultural Marxism is. If you want to destroy the current social order, of course, then you want to provoke violence. You want to cause, you want to cause chaos. And yes, we saw after the fact. And then, then the grand jury thing came down. I just talk a little bit about the grand jury. Some people have attacked the fact that there was a grand jury. The grand jury is is a good instrument for understanding what it's about. The grand jury does meet in secret, but it's not. There's purpose of the grand jury is to decide is there enough evidence to hand down a true bill or an indictment. So the grand jury really does protect our rights for that reason, because there's certain states that have gotten rid of grand juries, and then that gives more leeway to the state to immediately indict or not. And as far as the, the criminal justice system is concerned, they, they normally don't like, prosecutors normally don't like to indict a case unless they think they can win. And you probably know they want to get us further away from real juries. Uh, everything They want everything to be a plea. They don't want to get juries out of the fact you might have covered what had happened in North Carolina. We're now sad to say they violated uh, the, you know, we have this new amendment, which is horrendous, which violates, you know, the spirit and intent of the federal Constitution and the original North Carolina, well, North Carolina Constitution, latest edition, like 1972, where it says a criminal can waive his right to a jury trial. Very, very dangerous precedent. You know, we we want to preserve the rights of the jury. The jury is, you know, it's it, it's it's a very powerful thing. Uh, any juror, again, could, if they understand their power, that they could uh, they could change that course of the verdict. Yeah. But I think yet yeah, the grand jury is a good instrument. It does protect our rights. So some people have said that the uh, the prosecutor there, he wanted, to, he wanted to protect himself. So instead of just saying we're not going to indict him, have a grand jury, perhaps that was the case. But again, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Why? Because it takes it out of the hand of him in one office and it basically says, okay, you get together this grand jury, the evidence presented, and if they think there's probable cause, then you hand down the indictment and then you have a real trial. So a lot of people seem to be trashing the fact that you know the grand jury was involved again. I see that as a positive thing. I think uh, it would have been much it would have been much more uh, difficult had they decided not to have a grand jury. And again, I don't know the Missouri law, uh, but it's uh, evidently there was some leeway that they did not have to call in the grand jury. But again, it's a positive thing. Uh, I don't think that's a negative thing. But then it was very interesting as as we see as the time as this went down. Everything looks really bad, uh, and of course, no one would say it looked good. What happened uh, after the grand jury decided there wasn't enough evidence to uh, to indict the police officer? Now, I say when I say it was bad, obviously, no one's going to defend except the people that are you know openly destructive, and some did. I mean, there's some quotes I could look at where people did defend uh, did defend the actual destruction of of what yeah. happened. Uh, people had known. There's one article I read. Pretty interesting piece that was said. Uh, this is an Associated Press article. Name of that article was 
for some location of Brown's hands irrelevant. Location of Brown's hands irrelevant. The truth may never, to quote that, the truth may never be certain despite a three-month state grand jury investigation. Nothing was disclosed, any, any photos or videos, nothing was disclosed capturing exactly what transpired. And some people were quoted saying, even if you don't find that it's true, it's a valid rallying cry. Uh, that's, that's what some people were saying. One guy, this was amazing, uh, one guy had said, uh, it doesn't matter at all if somehow we can say for sure whether this one young man really said, the, said these words or had, or had his hands up. Uh, this is not about one boy getting shot in the street, but about hundreds just like him who have received the same callous and racially influenced treatment, said Oakland, California protester Gabe, Gabe Johnson, middle school teacher. So they're admitting the facts don't matter. And this, again, goes into the politically correct mindset that when you want to see everything in terms of a group dynamic, if blacks are seen as a subgroup, even though one individual may or may not have been, he may have been shot, it could have been completely appropriate. But if you can use that incident to rally others to divide us and fight for the group dynamic, then it really, it just does not matter. <laughs> and this is, yeah, we see that wow. time and time again. And uh, people admit that. But this is, when it happened that night, it was things that were very disturbing to me is this. Governor Jay Dixon, who's a Democrat, he had called in the National Guard beforehand. Okay, He had declared a state of emergency back on, I think, the yes, November 17th, looking at a timeline from Associated Press, November 17th. Democratic governor declared a state of emergency and activates the National Guard again ahead of a decision from the grand jury. He placed the St. Louis County Police Department in charge of security in Ferguson with orders to work as a unified command with St. Louis, St. Louis City Police and Missouri Highway Patrol. Okay, so that's on November 17th. Now, the jury, jury verdict goes down when, what was that, the 25th, was it? 24th? Yeah, 25th. Okay. Okay. Before jury verdict goes down before then, okay, there's something really wrong with this picture because the governor declares a state of emergency, activates the National Guard on the 17th, and that we still have, then we still have this chaos. I mean, what what had erupted? What had erupted? I'm looking at a USA Today piece, USA Today piece where you know they reported uh, one. One press conference with St. Louis, St. Louis County Police Chief John Belmer. Okay, he had said, 1:30 that morning, at least a dozen buildings were set ablaze. At least a dozen buildings were were set on fire, and he heard at least 150 gunshots and unfired by police. That's what he claimed. And then there was also, I think, two uh, two police cars that had been attacked. So, how could that possibly happen unless the National Guard stood down? Okay. Now, there were people on the scene, there were new media people on the scene. You know, some of the corporate media people had fled when things got hot. And uh, to me, this raises a lot of questions. This is another story, yet again, the corporate media has ignored. How could there be any violence unless the National Guard stood down? And maybe the police even stood down initially. And also, other people had commented on this, okay? This is just my little recollection of what had happened. If you remember that night, they had said early, I think around between 5 and 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, CNN came out and said uh, the grand jury has decided, I mean the decision, that they're done. Yet they waited till 
it was late till after nightfall, to me again, very disturbing. This would seem to indicate to me they wanted to provoke violence. Now, to well, me, I didn't, it, yeah, I, go ahead. That, that, that's, that was one of the more amazing facts to me. Um, just, just speaking on the grand jury, timing, you know, the timing of when they released uh, the information on, you know, whether he would be indicted or not. To me, that was uh, – I don't, I don't really have any words for it. I, I just feel like it was intentional. You know, I, I do understand, you know, one aspect, you know, how they were afraid that, you know, A, B, and C would happen, so they wanted it to get prepared. And uh, I, I get that. You know, I, I get that. But when I look at it on face value and, and I look at the way they've handled this this exact incident in the past, handing that verdict down or releasing that information rather at the time they released it was, was just, why wouldn't they hold it until the next day? Until the next yeah. daylight, the next day break. Why wouldn't they do that, Rocco? No, no. I, I agree with you. I think, I can't remember again, this is just anecdotal, this is just my little memory, I could be wrong, but I can never remember where you've had uh, a verdict, whether it's, you know, from grand jury to indict or not to indict or an actual, you know, decision by by a jury. I, I can never remember where they've sat on it. I mean, OJ and stuff, everything would come out right away uh, in years past. So, this doesn't look good. When the government does this, what they try and do, they they want us to always trust them. And when they do things that are just so com- completely insane, and again, I, I, I stress, I've said, I don't know, five times now, the National Guard was already activated. The, the governor, who happened to be a Democrat, had declared a state of emergency, so they were there. How could this possibly have happened? And then they add fuel to the fire, but by delaying the decision to well after nightfall, they should have either made it public while it was still light out, or like you said, the next day, do it at dawn when you know, people were probably tired, do it at daybreak, you know, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right, that's right, though, but, that's right. Yeah, yeah, just do it one or the other. And this, this, this begs the question again, why, why would the government, why would they do this? And again, you go back to the dynamics of this case, like I said. You have, it's ambiguous in that you don't have any video. You have conflicting eyewitnesses, though in the end it would appear that the majority of the people, it seems like, uh, you know, Michael Brown's hands were down. Uh, he wasn't, you know, pleading. He wasn't saying I give up or anything like that. So, uh, why would the government possibly do this? And my answer is, this is how the government operates. They want, they want to cause the chaos. Okay. Some people talk about the the process of problem, reaction, solution. Uh, uh, Hegelian thing, thesis, antithesis, antithesis, synthesis, a little philosophy from Hegel. You, cr- you, have a, you, you have an idea, a thesis. You have an opposing idea, an antithesis. The, the ideas conflict, and then you get a new idea, the synthesis, and it goes on and on. So if the government is working not in our best interest, particularly the federal government, particularly criminals like Eric Holder, and I say he's a criminal on the air because this is the guy who was declared by Con- he was declared 
judged by Congress. He was guilty of contempt of Congress. He never did not produce documents he was required to produce concerning Fast and Furious. We know for a fact, if you follow that story, that the Justice Department knew they actually basically let guns go into Mexico, and those guns were used to kill innocent Mexicans as well as at least one U.S. Uh, Border Patrol agent. No one was ever held accountable for that. Eric Holder should have been, you know, they could have arrested him. But, again, the Republicans play that game, a left versus right bander, and do it. Same thing with Lois Lerner. They could have arrested her for contempt of Congress. They let her walk. But Eric Holder is a criminal, and you look at also how, what they've done to cover up what happened in Benghazi, another huge story. So, I mean, he's a criminal, but this criminal got involved in, in Ferguson. And that's always the illusion that uh, if there's a problem, there's a problem with, you know, state, the state level or you know, county level, you call in, you know, the federal investigators. Call in, call in, get a federal investigation going. You know, they're, they're going to protect us. Like, really? You, you really want to do that? I mean, you look throughout history, centralized power is the enemy of individual liberties. We, we really do not want power centralized, particularly police power. And this is part of the broader thing of what's going on with Ferguson as they push us towards not only militarized police, but eventually federalizing police. And one way they could do that is if, if a state goes bankrupt, it looks like California in the not-too-distant future will be bankrupt. Well, then if California still wants police, they accept federal money, you, you then have de facto federal police. So I think, again, it, it's hard. At this point, I don't have hard hard proof to say, okay, you know, the federal government wanted this to happen. It certainly seems that way. But we do know there were agent provocateurs. I love that phrase, agent provocateurs. And yeah, here's, here's the definition of what is an agent provocateur. Okay, French for inciting agents. It's an agent employed by the police to act undercover to entice or provoke the government's enemies to commit an illegal act. More generally, the term may refer to a person or group that seeks to discredit or harm another by provoking them to commit a wrong or rash action. The government, our government, has been caught using Asian provocateurs. Uh, it happened Absolutely. in 19, December. This has happened, right? Absolutely. If you know the history, December 1999, World Trade Organization yes. protest in Seattle, Washington. It was clear proof. The vast majority of protesters there were, were peaceful. There was a small group of people that started smashing windows, burning things. Yes. And it was eventually proven that there were police. If you want to check out that, that, that evidence, uh, you can just go on YouTube and you could search for uh, Seattle World Trade Organization or Seattle WTO riots exposed. That was in uh, all of it's in one documentary by Alex Jones, Police State to the Takeover. But, I mean, that's a lock. We know that it happened. Uh, and why do they it's do funny, that? It's one funny goal, that you mentioned the, the, yeah. the provocateurs, okay. Rocco, mm-hmm. I, because I, I, I look at this incident and, and this Ferguson incident, and I said from the door, I, I said from the beginning, I said, you know what? They're not showing the peaceful protesters. This is when they fired upon the media. This is when they had rubber bullets. This is when they fired tear gas at the media. These were the first incidents that actually happened. These were the first acts of violence that actually happened. There were people protesting. Uh, They were breaking the curfew, but they were peaceful in what they were doing. So that was supposed to be a non-issue. The police were overzealous, and they started firing tear gas at what appeared to could possibly be a threat, which were none other than media, uh, various media outlets 
you know, setting up their cameras and their lights. And, and you know, this, this info is well documented. You can go all over yes. YouTube or, or Google it or whatever you like to do. But the information is out there. To me, Rocco, if you will, to me this shows those actions that they took upon the media, those actions that the state police and the local police uh, took on the events after uh, Michael Brown was uh, discovered to have been murdered, you know, their actions at that point showed me exactly what the atmosphere is like, you know, prior to this incident. Uh, one, thing that you, one thing that I always realize is that if you pay close attention to most people, uh, you know, people in general, we're, we're very habitual uh, 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 mammals or creatures, and we have habits that if you pay a close enough attention, that cannot be broken. I mean, it takes months, sometimes years, to break some of the habits that we have. And I think a part of this Ferguson Police Department, part of their habit uh, were, was to be a little overzealous. Uh, perhaps before and after uh, Michael Brown had been uh, murdered, and, and, and I say murdered because all the all the uh, evidence that I see, all the information that I have, is is simply this: uh, an unarmed man, teen, whatever you want to call him, however you would like to categorize him, whether he's black or white. At this point, it doesn't matter. Uh, an unarmed individual, a citizen, uh, was shot dead, almost exit. No, not almost execution style, uh, by an officer of the law. That's murder to me. Uh, it's murder because there was no uh, uh, APB, uh, there was no manhunt saying that we were looking for an armed individual. There was no directive to shoot to kill. Uh, this individual was armed and dangerous. There was no directive, period. And you and I both know that police act upon directions. They have directives, and then they follow suit from there. Uh, this was a confrontation between two people and one happened to be a police officer. Uh, for what is worth, I think that there were two wrongs in this incident. I think there was a, a wrong with young Michael Brown uh, not carrying out or being uh, confrontational with an officer of the law, and we all know where that gets you normally. Uh, I also believe that this officer of the law uh, was wrong in the actions that he took after uh, Michael Brown was confrontational with him. So I don't look at this incident as um, a mistake. I don't look at this incident as a single error, uh, 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 um, if you will, I think it's much bigger than that, as, as you were saying tonight. You know, I, I'm not saying that this was antagonized by someone on the federal level. You know, I'm not saying that. But I will say what I see, and what I see is that people on the federal level have used this uh, this tragedy uh, of an incident in Ferguson, Missouri, and they have accomplished many of their goals, man, you know, outside of this incident. And, and through this incident, and, and it's not over. You know, it's, no. it's not over at no. all. I think it's very no. unfortunate, though, 
uh, that people that we would categorize ourselves with, Rocco, people who are who are well studied, uh, uh, well read, and this is no disrespect to people who aren't. I'm just saying that we use sure. a large portion of our life time to study things of this nature and 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 research and pay attention to patterns and and go back in history and and, and find things and we relate them and and I think it's I think it's unfortunate that people like you and I uh weren't smart enough to take a deep breath and say you know what there's something bigger here um well it's yeah I mean like I said before I kind of lean again at this point it would appear the officer was innocent, but I agree with your point if someone's unarmed. Now, again, they choose this they choose this case to divide us and to stoke the racial tensions when race may not even been an issue. If in fact and again we we don't know a hundred percent. But if Michael Brown did attempt to grab the officer's gun, again, you're asking to get shot at that point. And like I said before You, a- you absolutely are. You, yeah, you absolutely any time yeah. <laughs> Anybody in this world attempts to grab an officer's gun, you are absolutely asking to get shot. Right. If that's what However, happened. If that's what happened, that's correct. Right. Absolutely. Now, the, one one thing that I'm wondering, Rocco, and, and, and I've been asking this question for, for a long time, why aren't people, and I've seen a couple of interviews, of, uh, I think his name is Dorian Johnson, which was Michael Brown's friend, the only uh, eyewitness, if you will, outside of Mr. Michael Brown and Mr. Darian uh, uh, Wilson. Why isn't his account of the incident being taken into account? Why isn't his testimony being taken into account? Why aren't people paying attention to this young man and what he has to say about the entire incident? I can't answer your question. I'm assuming if the grand jury did his due diligence, they had to have his testimony. What does he claim? Has he gone public or not? He has. He he has gone public. And uh, I don't know. Do we have that? Okay, I don't don't think we have that that footage of what he went public with. But when I listen to his testimony, can you get it? All right, we're going to try to get that too, Rocco. I'd love to play that. Uh, when I listen to his testimony, or, or not his testimony, I'm sorry, when I listen to his interview of what he said happened, you know, all the questions that I had were answered. If you listen to uh, the officer, uh, Darian Wilson, I hope, I hope I got that name right. If you listen to uh, Officer Darren and you listen to uh, Mr. Johnson's uh, we listen to both of their words on what what their their reaccounts of what happened that day. They are very consistent. I mean, they are extremely consistent. It's it's amazing when you have one guy on the left saying, you know, that's not right. Or this side of the line saying, hey, you know, he didn't do us right. He didn't treat us right. He was more aggressive than what he should have been. And then you have an officer of the law saying, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. It's amazing how close uh, of of account that they both have, the similarities in it. I mean, it's almost picture perfect. The difference is the opinion of them both. 
on, on what happened. If you listen to Mr. Johnson's testimony, he says uh, they were walking in the street. They were in the way, you know. Uh, the officer drove by, and those two things seemed to change. The next words changed. The officer says, he said to those guys, hey, how don't you, why don't you guys mind? According to the grand jury report, you guys have to look at this and make sure that I'm not telling you a lie. You have to read it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The officer states that he told them, hey, why don't you get out of the street and walk on the sidewalk? According to Mr. Johnson, he says the officer rode past him and, and backed up and said, hey, why don't you get the F out of the street? So, okay, for what's right or wrong, you know, words that work are exchanged. They continue to walk. He drives on, but he backs up then all the way to them. Now, Mr. Johnson states that he backed up and almost ran them over, leaving his driver's side door right almost against their body, right where they were standing. So as he tried to open his door, Michael Brown pushed his door closed with his body, windowed down, and he would not allow the officer to get out of the car. So the officer grabbed his arm, you know, window being down, and tried to pull him close while he opened the door. I don't know if that's true, okay? I don't even care if that's true or false, to be honest with you, Rocco. Let me fast forward along here. Uh, Mr. Johnson states that uh, Mr. Brown snatched himself away, okay, and the officer got out of the car and fired several shots at Mike Brown. Um, I'm sorry, I need to rewind. Before he snatched himself away, he was shot right at the car door. We're going to get that. I'm going to get that so we can play that so you can hear it from his words. But I guess Mike Brown was shot at close range at the car, and they took off running. Several more shots were fired, which seemed consistent because from all other accounts, he emptied his gun. And only, what, six to eight shots hit uh, Mr. Mike Brown, with one or two maybe being a reentry wound, according to the autopsy report, each of them. So he fired several shots. Mike Brown turned around. According to Mr. Johnson, his hands were up. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, okay? Don't know. Uh, the officer can, continued to fire shots and finished him off with two fatal shots to the head, leaving Mike Brown dropped to the ground. Now, I say that that's consistent because of the distance on where he died compared to where the police vehicle was. Mm-hmm. You know, that seems consistent with me. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of cases that are proven that uh, I mean, there's just no question. Uh, the police many times do act illegally. Uh, I mean, you could look at there's one Facebook page, Cop Block, uh, and there's tons of YouTube videos where I mean, there's indispu- indisputable proof of when police uh, beat people without provocation. And then sometimes uh, after they beat people, then the person will get charged with resisting arrest. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And the police do sometimes execute people. There's no doubt. I mean, that there's video. You could, uh, you could do a, a star page search for Kelly Thomas. Uh, that was a homeless guy. Uh, he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. 
He was in Fullerton, California, and the, back in July 10th, 2011, it's on video. Uh, the police had beat him to death. It's unbelievable. Uh, two of them were found not guilty, but the evidence is there. Uh, it, it, it's it's bad. I mean, it, it's bad at times. And like I said, with this case, we may never know everything that had happened. But the bigger picture is they want to use this to divide us and to cause chaos. They and they have. Here's here's another quote from a so-called community organizer, a Malik Malik Raz, if I'm pronouncing it right, Rasan. It's November 25th, USA Today piece. Okay, he said his community organizer with hands up, united. He said the carnage. This was after the grand jury verdict when they decided not to indict the police officer. He said the carnage was nothing compared with the sight of Brown's body lying in the street for several several hours following his death. Quote, they have insurance. They can rebuild, said Rahasan. 42, the life of Mike Brown can't be rebuilt. Our patients cannot be rebuilt. So there's another angle to the story. Why did they leave his body in the street knowing that that would cause a lot of problems and animosity. There's no logical reason for that. But the attitude of this so-called community organizer, see, this is the destructiveness of political correctness and the cultural Marxism. They believe there's a right for them to destroy innocent people's property because they have insurance, and then somehow that makes things better. <laughs> Not this is very destructive. This is just a very destructive attitude. <clears throat> Wow, man, it's, it's you know, so I, I, man, I, I look at this whole, and, and, and I'm speaking from the heart, man. I, I look at this incident, sure. and I say, you know, I, I feel like, and, and I said it before, you know, folks don't like it. They're like, oh, you're trying to play both sides. I'm just talking reality. Sure. You know, in the event that you resist arrest, period, and, and especially today in this society, because cops usually are overzealous because of the times, most of them. And then some of them, they go above and beyond the job. See, here, here's the thing, before I can go into that, here's, here's the funny thing. People forget that being a police officer is just a damn job for a lot of these guys. You know, some people say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go work for the police force, and they take a test, and they pass a physical, and then they go through the training, and if they have an academy, some places don't even have academies. You know, you apply for the job, you get it, and you're on a job. But, you know, people forget that some individuals go into uh, uh, civil service for a, pay- a paycheck and a pension. I mean, that's it. And there, in, in, in any, if you look at any profession, there are always and will always be people that are middle of the road some people that are barely getting by, and and we see that, and you very rarely see the exception to the rule, right, in any profession. And it's unfortunate that it's in civil service, but we see it all the time. You even see it in your senators and your congressmen. There are very few individuals that are elected to the Congress or, 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 or to the Senate, I'll say, and to the House that stand out among their peers. Some people get those jobs and they skate by and you never know who they are. They never make any noise. They never write any legislation. They always co-sign legislation and they make this nice lump sum and they get that pension and then they fade away and you never even knew 
that they were politicians of any sort, even if you pass them on the street. So, you know, I, I look at this incident, and, and, and I look at this, I, I, I look at it for face value, and, and anywhere in the world, I know Rocco, and I even know better that, or, or then to resist arrest, okay? And, and, and it's unfortunate, and I'm going to say this, and I know a lot of people aren't going to like it, but this is reality. As a black man, I don't have the room to be able to be confrontational with the police. Because let's face it, if you look at television, if you look in the media, they always portray black people as being overly aggressive. Okay, no. even in black <laughs> movies. No. Okay, it's, there, not, it's, it's not just white That's people that are doing this. Even in black movies, and, and, and these are the realities that people don't want to talk about. Like, these are the truths that people don't want to share. But this is the truth. So none well, of us there, have yeah. the room to be confrontational. Whether you're white, black, blue, or green, but especially a black man in America, you don't have room to be confrontational with police. You don't. There, there, there's a lot of that Yeah. You know, they're already on the edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got look at some yeah. of the stories that are out here. Look at some of the things that are happening. Look at what the criminals do. I'm not justifying the murder of Mike Brown, and I'm going to call a murder until to my last days on this earth and after, okay? I'm not justifying his actions. I'm just telling you like it is. If you resist arrest from a police officer and your hands somehow end up being in the car or on this individual, you're probably going to get shot. And if he's no. an, an, an exceptional, caring, God-forsaken individual, or, or God-loving individual, I'm sorry, he may be able to discern a little bit and maybe shoot you in the legs or not shoot to kill. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But that's outside of his training. You no, know, there, there, that's being a, able to there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of dynamics here. One, one thing, there was a Department of Defense questionnaire back in – uh, I think 2000, it was 2009, and you think about what happened in the World Trade Organization, Seattle, 1999, what happened in Ferguson. What they're trying to do is they're trying to demonize, they're trying to make it seem that all protests are violent and, and evil, and protest in, in and of itself is wrong. This was the questionnaire, federal questionnaire, Department of Defense, for Level 1 Anti-Terrorism Awareness Training Course, Okay. Which of the following is an example of low-level terrorist activity? That was the question, multiple choice. Which of the following is an example of low-level terrorist activity? The correct answer was protests. So this is how this is how they're trying to brainwash us. I mean, the the, the First Amendment makes it really clear. I mean, we have a right to peacefully organize, but they don't want us to know that. The the dynamic you say, well, please, I I agree with you. There's a lot of things going on how they're making police more militarized. And I do think the majority of the police are law-abiding. But you just need an active minority to not respect the law, and you have huge problems. And it depends from municipality to municipality. I mean, uh, I mean North Carolina, I'm sure you've seen, if you have occasions being Wake Forest, uh, the police there would appear to be somewhat more zealous than in certain other municipalities. But what are some of the dynamics that are making police different? Well, part of it is federal training, 
is that they're brainwashing them. I use that's a strong phrase, brainwashing them to think that the people is the enemy and they're not. Police officers should probably be called peace officers. They should be around to preserve the peace, not cause chaos and not inflict harm against innocent people. Another thing that happens is you get these guys that are coming back having served in these wars, all of which are illegal. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, only Congress can declare war. Last declared war was World War II. Against those nations, everything else since has been false. But these guys are coming back. In the past, even in Vietnam era, you'd only have a guy doing one term, one tour of duty a year. Now you have people going out doing two, three, four terms. They're coming back. A lot of these men are not emotionally sound, and then they get jobs as police. Then you factor in the federal training that's depicting patriots, uh, someone like me who would carry a pocket constitution. There's been multiple federal trainings that that makes me radicalized or a potential terrorist. If I quote the constitution according to certain federal training, that would make me radicalized or a terrorist. Then on top of that, they're giving many police departments to either the federal government and the military is either giving them military hardware or or selling to them at a greatly discount price. Then you add on top of that, you have police departments like in New York City. They've been training them for years as if they are in a war zone, and they basically, they just, they emptied their magazines. They shouldn't, they, they just, there's been, I didn't, I didn't do the research tonight. I didn't pull it up. I mean, I read it in the past, but if you do any research about what's going on in New York City, the police more than once have fired upon and executed unarmed people. There was one case a couple of years ago. It was a guy, he had stayed out all night for his bachelor party, and he was in the car with his buddy. I think they were about to go home. Police came up to them. I believe it was in daylight. I could be wrong. I think already it was after dawn. But the police had asked him for his ID. He went to his shack to get his wallet, and he shot him. He shot him dead. And when this happens in New York City, uh, the police, the prosecutors always side with the police regardless. But a lot of them are trigger-happy because they've been getting this military training. So there's a lot of dynamics that are making the police far more militant than they should be, far more militant. That's very dangerous. And again, if the Constitution is really neat in a lot of respects, and one thing is we have this federal system, and that means there is division between the federal government and the states. Now, a lot of people will think the federal government is the national government. Technically, it isn't, and I'm not splitting hairs. By national government, that would mean that the states would just be totally subservient. And you see that in most other countries where you have a police and it's a national police department. There's no such thing as a check and balance. A couple of years ago, you might remember, you remember Senator Craig, the Republican, what happened in 2007 in the Minneapolis airport? Do you remember that story by chance? Guy, he had gotten caught. He was in a bathroom. And he got arrested oh, yeah. by oh, yeah. okay, right. He got arrested by a local uh, Minnesota police officer working in the airport because in the in the airport in the bathrooms there have been multiple reports of uh, you know, basically lewd homosexual activity. So Senator Craig uh, was essentially <laughs> acting as if he was trying to proposition the undercover officer. He gets arrested and. Uh, the first thing he does, he throws down his business card to the officer that says he's a U.S. senator. And he says, what do you think about that? And the officer said, that's nice, you're arrested. So 
the beauty of that story is this. We have a federal system because we have independent police departments. That local jurisdiction doesn't matter that he was a senator. He broke the law, and the law worked, and the policeman did what was right. But as we move towards a federal system, all the abuses, the things we've discussed tonight, get a billion times worse because then there's no checks and balances. You see what I'm saying? Then somebody, somebody gets arrested. Yeah, it's whether it's a senator, a senator staffer, some working for uh, the federal government, and the multitude of agencies that are doing things that have no constitutional authority to do. One of those persons get arrested in North Carolina, and if there aren't any more local police departments, if there's not any more sheriffs, uh, sheriffs, police offices, if there's no more highway patrol, someone at the federal level just makes a phone call and it goes away. <laughs> so. This is the danger as we're facing as they attempt to federalize the police. And as I said before, one easy way they can do it is if the states go bankrupt, as looks like the case is that's going to be the case in the not-too-distant future with California, then the federal government will say, well, if you want money for police, then we own your police. And there you go. Then if there's no more technically, if the federal government's paying the bill, <laughs> they're basically then all – federalized police. And and you think about it, there's really, you can make a real good argument. There's no constitutional basis for any federal law enforcement under the so-called enumerated powers in Article 1. You don't see it. And then the other point that's really easy to understand is that you talk about agencies like the DEA, you know, Drug Enforcement Agency. You talk about the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, started by executive order by President Nixon. Uh, these guys, some of them, have guns. And they're they're federal law enforcement agents, but they're enforcing yeah. laws oh, yeah. that have no constitutional basis. There's none. There's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about drugs. Shouldn't be any federal laws touching on that, none whatsoever. There should be no federal laws touching on the environment. I mean, it's all tyranny. So that we're at this point. I mean, this is how late in the game it is that they create all these laws. They create all these agencies. They give federal guys with guns the power to enforce laws, and it all has no constitutional basis. And then the states roll over and just let them operate at will. I mean, it's it, it's crazy. You might have heard that there's stories out there. This happens on, on a fairly regular basis. There'll be a federal investigation, normally related to drugs, <clears throat> and they'll do a no-knock raid. And they'll get the address wrong. And then it might be a poor senior citizen or you know, someone might die of a heart attack. Or, or they shoot, they shoot a child because they have the wrong address. Yeah, this is this is the crazy situation we find ourselves in, and we do have a constitutional remedy for this. And yeah, that's that's the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, which yeah make it really clear that the powers, the only powers the federal government have. Okay, the states created the federal government, not vice versa. They gave it certain enumerated powers. The states do not have to respect any law that lacks that lacks constitutional authority. Tenth Amendment is clear. The powers, according to the Tenth Amendment of the Federal Constitution, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So case in point, we got Obamacare. We've got federal laws about the environment. I mean, they're shutting down clean coal-burning power plants. The states don't have to follow any of this stuff. They just have to take their role seriously. But as far as the police and the militarizing of the police, 
it, it's a very, very dangerous trend. And again, we do have a constitutional remedy. The big picture is we have to decentralize federal power. It happens out west. Out west, in states like Utah and Arizona, you have a lot of sheriffs that take their oath to uh, protect and defend the Constitution seriously. And they just don't let federal agents do whatever they want. I mean, think about the insanity of a federal agent showing up on someone's farm and arresting people for raw milk. It, 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 that should never happen. And again, if, if you got, if you have a, if you have a sheriff that takes his oath seriously, it won't happen. The, the federal government doesn't want any confrontation with the states. If the states stand up, they'll go away. They'll, you know, things will be resolved peacefully. But if the states continue to act as if they're federal colonies, the states continue to act as if the federal government created the states and not vice versa, I mean, we're going to see a lot more bad stuff going on, going down. And, and the yeah, whole I, racial I, thing. I agree. I, bad? Yeah. I, I definitely agree. I, I yeah. think, you know, I, and, and this is a question that I had, but I, I just got a message here that they had this uh, Dorian Johnson's testimony. But I, I just wanted to say, Rocco, I wanted to sure. ask, you know, do you think when you look at Boston, when you look at 9-11, uh, even when you look at Oklahoma, and, and all these incidents, and, and, and the Mike Brown incident, the Trayvon Martin incident, when you look at all these incidents and all these horrible things that are happening uh, in the United States, and you look at the actions that the states are taking that always involves the federal government, and, and, and in terms of federal government takeover, a.k.a. Homeland Security comes in, and they end up, and they end up you know, directing the show. They take over the show. For, from a media standpoint, you know, the face that they show in front of the local news or, or even uh, the national news is always a, a local face. But you and I both know, you know, when, when the Alphabet Boys comes in, you know, they take over. And, and you can see it in the movement of the National Guard. You can see it in the movements of the state police and in and, and an attack that they take. You know, and, and you know, it just it clearly it clearly says military. You know, it clearly says military. These a lot of these local communities, these cops don't they don't have the, the proper military training uh, like most soldiers would have. So when you see them in groups and they're they're all together and and the tactics that they're using, you know, you know that they've been briefed on how to maneuver and, and you know what to do in these situations. So. Uh, we've seen that. We've seen that oh, yeah. tonight, but we've, we've also seen when the feds come in. So. Yeah, it, it, sometimes it's over, like in, in Waco, when you had the execution of those children yeah. in Waco. Uh, totally insane. They talk about David Koresh being guilty of whatever. Uh, the guy left the compound every day every few days. They could have easily arrested him. That was a classic example where yeah. they wanted to provoke violence. And the military was there, and that's a violation of a law that was passed after the Civil War called Posse Comitatus. Posse Comitatus, and that says the military cannot be used for domestic law enforcement. And it happens all the time. I mean, you go back yes, back to the 60s and the 70s. Military intelligence, as well as the FBI, spied on peaceful anti-war protesters. A lot of this came out in the church hearings in the early 70s. And that's that's some amazing stuff if someone researches, you know, the church hearings, what came out then. Uh, it's just amazing stuff that, you know, that they conclude in the church hearings, for example, 
that in all probability there was conspiracy, congressional congressional investigation, in all probability there was conspiracy to assassinate JFK, and there was more than one there was more than one shooter. But no one ever talks about that. Okay, no one ever talks about the uh, the church committee hearings. But yeah, the the the, the, the another thing they're doing after 9/11 to federalize police is they got these fusion centers. That sounds really cool. And a fusion center, they're fusing local, federal, state police. They're putting them together to gather intelligence. And it's all all a waste of money. It's all designed, again, to convince people in law enforcement that the people are the enemy and they're not. I got a a quote from uh, Washington Post back in, in 2012. An initiative aimed at improving intelligence sharing has done little to make the country more secure, despite as much as $1.4 billion in federal spending, according to a two-year examination by Senate investigators. The nationwide network of offices known as Fusion Centers was launched after September 11, 2001 attacks to address concerns that local, state, and federal authorities were not sharing information effectively about potential terrorist threats. But after nine years, this is back in 2012, and regular praise from officials at the Department of Homeland Security, the 77 fusion centers have become pools of ineptitude, waste, and civil liberties intrusions, according to a scathing 141-page report by the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. So the Senate looks at it themselves and says it's a waste, but then they don't do what's right. They don't deconstruct it. You, know, you, you don't you don't defund it or you don't kill it. <laughs> but again, these fusion centers very dangerous as they push us closer towards complete federalization of police. Well, uh, you know, I, it's a, every, when you when you look at everything, Rocco, and I and, and I sit down and I think about all the things that happen and all this evidence and you know all these news reports from every single incident, but, you know, just going back to this Mike Brown, this, this Ferguson mm-hmm. issue, because now it's, 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 it's taken on uh, an issue of the country. You know, it, it's not only Mike Brown, it's, a, it's, a, it's the country's issue now. So when you look at this issue and how it grew and how it got legs and arms and it entered into the hearts and the souls of everybody, you know, in the nation, it's amazing how, the word race changed the total dynamic of the truths of what happened. Um, For what it's worth, you know, again, whether we like it or not, uh, another teenager has died, okay, for for what it's worth. Um, Another black teen has died for what it's worth. And I'm talking about the weight when I say for what it's worth, folks, because a lot of folks, a lot of you don't care unless it touches you somehow individually in your home or the mass media starts to talk about it. Otherwise, you're not talking about it and you don't care. You're definitely not doing the damn thing about it um, for, for a lot of individuals, not everybody. So That's it's true. amazing what this incident has done when they added race to the issue. Now, I'm not going to say that it wasn't a, a race issue, Rocco, because I don't know. Okay, you can pull up, I can pull up all types of statistics that would support it. And then I'm sure there will be a million people out there that can pull up statistics that would, you know, just kill that notion. 
But what I do know is that, again, a civil servant has killed a citizen. And I don't know, man, I'm I'm a conservative independent, and I lean to the right with my politics at least. And and the way I live my life is 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 far, you know, easily considered conservative. And I define that. I don't depend on anyone else to define that. But what I'm saying is, you know, where does where does this end? Unless Rocco, unless people have been living under a rock, okay, and not reading or not paying attention or not using any form of social media. This is no different than the things we've been seeing. Right. The difference is this was uh, uh, a shooting from one white officer to one uh, black teenager. But these are, this incident was the final stages of what we've been seeing, the beginning stages of all around this country, and I'm sure it has happened to some some of us, and myself included. You know, we've been dealing with police officers who come up to your car screaming, mad as hell because you got you didn't have on your seatbelt. <laughs> you know, we've been dealing with and 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 I can man, I'm I'm just talking about me. You know, and 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 Rocco, the way I live my life today. You know, especially in the public eye, I, I'm all I'm a thinker, so I'm always thinking. So a lot of the times, I don't look very inviting, but I'm always <laughs> saying hello and I'm always speaking to people, right? I'm always doing that. That's just me. So I understand that if I look like I might have something on my mind, I may not be looking too nice. And when you don't look too nice and you speak to people, it might make them think you got something under your sleeve. I get that. That's yeah. cool. Whatever. Right? That's whatever that is, it's cool. I get it. But I'm going to continue to speak to people until the day that I die. Right? That's the legacy I want to live. This guy speaks to anybody. Okay? So I understand uh, uh, the thought process that some people are probably thinking, but I'm here to tell you my interactions with police, I know that I have to change my whole face up. You know, I have to be overly inviting, I have to be extra happy. You know, I have to be extra helpful because when you're out there with nobody paying attention and no cameras rolling, this is reality we're talking about. There's no one to protect you from the law. It's the law against you. See, in 2014, going into 15, in in this era today, it's not innocent until proven guilty. You know, you're guilty. We're going to process you, and now you need to prove your innocence. These are the times that we live in, and everybody knows that. So when I deal with police, Rocco, I have to be extra nice. But my whole point in saying all this is that it's not hard for me to believe that a pissed-off cop, because you snatched away from him and you're talking junk to him, you know, and you possibly got away, it's not hard for me to believe that this guy gunned this kid down because he was mad. It's not hard for me to believe that, right? Because I see anything, it every right. day. And you know, we see possible. these things. Right. It's Anything's absolutely possible. possible. This is an it's, it's officer like of the law. It, yeah. 
it's like I said before, they choose this case because of the racial element, and it, it's it's the poster child. It's a great case for them to divide us and bring things down. Uh, whether it would appear again, they wanted the rioting. The National Guard stood down. Uh, you have organizers, the one I quoted, saying the violence is justified. People have insurance. This is all destructive. We can't let them divide us because, like I said, I mean, the the reality of you know, militarized police tactics and the brutality and even murder, it's out there. Uh, like I said, I mean, the case is there, what I quote Kelly Thomas in uh, Fulton, California. It's there. It, it, it happens. But to focus on this case, again, they love it because they want us divided. And the reality is whenever whenever an individual's rights are violated, uh, regardless, of, regardless of the race, we have to see it that all of our rights are, are, uh, are violated. They're at risk. And they don't want us to do that. They want us to think in terms of groups. And, and that's why the destructive, politically correct people, the cultural Marxists, where they realize it or not, that's why they think it's good. Well, then... It's good to burn down private property because that yeah. somehow helps my group, and it doesn't. Because what's going to happen? This is problem, reaction, solution. You go in, you write, you burn a community, and does that make does that make it better or worse? It makes it worse at a number of levels. Not only does the community lose services and businesses, but then the police become more militant. If you had if you had a guy Absolutely. who's on the edge, then he then he, then he gets worse. Because he's seen what happened. He said, these people are crazy. So that, we see, can't that's let them the divide thing, us. Though, that, yeah. that, and and, and that's, that's kind of what I was leading up to, man. It's, yeah. You know, it, it's, again, man, it's not hard for me to believe that these type of individuals are out there. You know, that, that's, that's not hard. That's not hard to see. That's, it's not hard to believe that. But I think the All major right. part that's hard for me to believe is that we continue to play the fool and to continue to be used as a tool. Of you course. Know, we continue course. to be divided. We continue to let these individuals, these media markets, these, these these poverty pimps, these, you know, we continue to let these people use us and separate us of and course. divide us on. Here's something that I realized, man. The bigots are small in the room. You know, the biggest are over there in the corner. There's a small group that makes a lot of noise, but the mass group pays attention to that little corner, and we give them so much merit and so much room to talk that they control our destiny. And, well, and this is where it. we are. Right. This is they a want, they want it that way. tragic incident, man. And, and, and I can't think of, I mean, I, I look at my children and I go, wow, I can't even think of, you know, what Michael Brown's parents must be going through mentally. I don't give a damn how ignorant they are. I don't care what they're into. I can care less about their criminal record. I always ask people, you know, there were some people that were putting a, a plain video of Michael Brown's mom and some things that she said and how she acted. Listen, man, at the end of the day, how in the hell would you act if a civil servant, a police officer, killed your unarmed child? Right. In your mind, you would be thinking that, Man, they could have did something different. No matter if your child's in the wrong, in your mind, you got to come on, there's nobody that I'm not that hardcore rock for, and I'm, I'm living well in reality. You know, no, I, my child got I, I, in a confrontation with the police, and he was unarmed, and they were some feet away, unless he was, unless there was some serious malice 
some life-threatening event or, or, or something that he was doing to that officer, I'm thinking in my head, if I lost my child, God forbid, man, he could have did something different because right. I want my baby. So all bets are off on what the parents are going to say. All bets are off of the pain that they're displaying. All bets are off of the things that they're saying. My whole point is saying all oh, this, Rocco, is that it's amazing that people who pay attention like you and I do, you know, the people who are in tune, the people who knows what's going on, it's amazing how we get in the mud and grovel and lose focus on what's important just because someone or a race baiter have used the word it's a black guy versus white cop, white cop versus black guy, whatever. Every time the word race is being thrown at a situation that should be looked at upon a, a blind racial eye, conservatives, independents, Republicans, Democrats, everybody grovels in the mud, and they get involved in that game too. And if we're the people who are supposed to be the freedom fighters, you know, the individualists, the constitutionalists, we're the people that are supposed to take the big, deep breath and go, hold on a second. Let me direct everybody to what's more important outside of what that small group over there in the corner is saying. And that's my beef for this whole incident. And this is why, Rocco, we continue to lose and we continue to be in this, get in the same trouble that we're in today with every single incident such as this because if one person says black or white, or white or black, it's gonna we're gonna grovel in the mud, and everybody's gonna start trying to defend their own color honor. Right. It's it's the power. We have to understand the power of manipulation. We understand we understand dynamics. We understand that the corporate media is essentially an arm of the government. We understand that people like Al Sharpton, he's been outed. He was an FBI informant. Uh, it, it's when you realize they exist to just create animosity. Once you understand the rules, it's real easy to diffuse them and understand what's going on. But if we let the corporate media, if we let CNN, MSNBC, Fox News dictate our reality, we're going to believe we're going to believe this government line. And again, we have to understand the rules. You understand the rules, it's real easy to see who's lying and who it benefits. And uh, once you understand that and you see that it's the power our individual liberties are at stake against the tyranny of the state, then it's easy to break through the groupthink. But until that happens, if we're going to let the corporate media, which is an arm of the government, dictate reality, then, yeah, we're in. We're in deep trouble. Rocco, they have uh, uh, 619-638-8559. You're listening to the last Sunday with Rocco P. on WM3G, home of the KRP radio show. Every Sunday, Rocco, every last Sunday of the month, uh, your host, Rocco P., comes on, and he's going to give you guys nothing but the raw truth from a totally different angle. This man is well, well researched, and he's always looking at the big picture, which is why I love him so much. Um, Rocco, I have queued up here uh, Dorian Johnson's recount of what happened. It is very lengthy. Uh, It's 11 minutes of, of his side of the story. Uh, we have about seven minutes, and then we go into the bonus hour. Um, I just wanted to make sure that before I play this that I wasn't going to lose you uh, in the bonus no, I'm hour. Good. I'm good, man. All right, here we go. Yeah. Tonight it is eerily quiet here on West Florissant, a strip that has been the site of a lot of activity and was a site of a lot of burning last night. It's been shut down by police officers. 
I first spoke with Dorian Johnson two days after he watched Officer Darren Wilson shoot and kill his friend Mike Brown. Since then, Dorian has been interviewed by federal investigators and has given what can be described as heartbreaking testimony to the grand jury. Dorian Johnson and Darren Wilson have differing accounts of what happened on August 9th. Much of what they testified to lines up quite consistently, but at times their accounts differ greatly. And earlier today, I got a chance to talk to Dorian again, along with his attorney, James Williams, and I began by asking Dorian's attorney what his reaction was to St. Louis prosecutor Bob McCullough's announcement last night. My reaction is the same reaction that we've seen from most of the community. Uh, anger, frustration, disappointment. Uh, my client, Dorian Johnson, was uh, certainly victimized out here, uh, witnessed firsthand the slaughter of Michael Brown. Uh, and adding insult to injury, we had a prosecutor who was clearly apathetic, who uh, put a sham presentation to the grand jury uh, so that he could stand up and give a 20-minute explanation of why there was no indictment. Uh, it's embarrassing to this community. It's frustrating. It's insulting to citizens like Dorian Johnson who have to endure this. And we just hope that justice can be served and that things don't stop here. Because right now, the way things are right now, uh, it is tragic and horrible for any citizen, particularly an African-American uh, in this community. How did you feel yesterday when you heard the, heard the announcement? I'm very upset that, you know, we 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 did what we what we supposed to do, stand up and tell what we see, any and just done by any person and speak up and stand up and be brave enough to say what you saw. And it's just sad that, you know, nothing is being done about it. And I feel like, you know, he could've he could have did something. Something different than kill my friend dead in the street. He could have did something different. I want to talk a little bit about your testimony and Darren Wilson's testimony, if that's okay. And the first thing I want to say is they're actually, in the key moments, pretty remarkably consistent. I mean, a lot of the stuff that both of you are seeing, you are relaying independently to the grand jury, syncs up perfectly down to Mike handing the cigarillos to you in the midst of that altercation. You say it, Darren Wilson testifies that. One big point of departure is how this all started. So I just want to read this to you. This is... Uh, Officer Wilson saying, we're right, you guys are right here. You're walking this way, right? His car's coming down, Canfield Drive this way. You guys are in the street, you're in front. And he says, why don't you guys walk on the sidewalk? Now, is that what he said to you? You, you he feel free not, to answer. He did not say that to me. He did not say, you, walk, you could walk on the He said, get the F on the sidewalk. Exact words to me. So that's a key difference, is that... When you testified, was that from the beginning it was a hostile interaction? Yes. It was get the F off of the side. Correct. Okay. That happens here. Now, here's another piece of testimony. Um, he backs his car in reverse, right? Right here, right? And he says he tries to open the door, and Mike Brown slams it shut and says, what the F are you going to do about it? Shuts my door, slammed it shut. Is that what you saw happen? That's not what I saw happen. That's not what happened. And that's not, not what you testified to the grand jury. That's not what happened. What, what did you testify to the grand jury? What he happened? failed to mention is the manner in which he reversed his vehicle. We, he reversed his vehicle in a way he, was, he would have struck me and Mike Brown if we did not get out the way. And therefore, his car was set up so close to us that he could not open his door without striking us with his door. It was impossible. So he's close enough to you that when he opens the door, it's... Ricocheted off of our body onto the car. Back into him. Okay, so an altercation now starts in that car. 
Officer Wilson testifies that there was a punch from Michael Brown. Is that what you saw? No. You did not see a punch? His, his fist was never closed. He never closed his fist. His fist was always oh, it was open. And open again, I, and again yeah. I think it's important to note, Dorian Johnson observed this, but was not on trial for his life. Officer Wilson, who gave his grand, self-serving grand jury testimony, was trying not to be indicted. So the similarities you're pointing out, uh, we think, are even more evidence of why, if properly presented, this grand jury would have resulted into an indictment. Um, uh, he, he says uh, it was hit right here on the side of the face with a fist. Um, you, you testified that Mike Brown's hands were never inside the car. Correct. You still believe that. There's some forensic evidence to suggest that maybe they were in there, but you're saying you, they did not go in the car. They did not go in the car. Okay. Can you tell me about the nature of that interaction at the window? Because you, you testified about how you're just looking around like freaked out. These, these guys are both getting very heated. Like this is escalating quickly. What was, what, was the, what was going on in that moment? Like I said, like I testified to the grand jury, it, was, it wasn't wrestling, it was tug of war, pulling and pulling away. It was no wrestling. And no you going. say Officer Wilson was the one who initiated contact by grabbing my car. Correct. He yes, was the was. first one to Correct. initiate Correct, yes. And you're saying they're wrestling. They're tug not wrestling, war. tug not of war. Are, are they cursing at each other? Are they yelling of at each other? Of course, there's some uh, verbal language. They're, ver they're both loud and angry. They're both loud and angry. But it's not wrestling. They're never grappling each other or never one body on top of uh, another. No, it's just he's pulling and he's pulling away. Darren Wilson is pulling towards the window and Mike Brown's pulling away from the uh, vehicle. Gunshots go off, right, inside the car. Is that correct? He was shot from inside the car, yes. Don Wilson shot from inside the car. He was never outside the car when the first shots right. went off. You, you, you fall to the ground, is that what happened? No. What happened? I was standing up. I was standing up, I turned and looked and at him. And you're right next to Mike I'm at standing point. right next to him. I turned and looked at him and saw that he was struck and blood was on his chest. And blood, I saw that he was struck. He had on a white shirt and blood ran down his shirt. That's how I knew that he was hit. And what does Mike do? We ran. That's when we ran. And you, you start running in this direction down the street, right? Correct. Straight You're down run, the street. running down this. The car is still parked here. The car was parked there. It was another car parked here. Okay. It was other at this time while we're running, it's other cars parked because they couldn't get past the office. I see. So there's 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 been a little bit of a there's been a little bit of a, a kind of traffic stop up. Right. Because right. this car's the officer's car just pulled in right here. Yes, and now it's, it's other cars aligned so that they can't get past but we, we're running. We're running past. When does Mike Brown stop and turn around? Not until a second shot was fired. Okay. Second shot is fired. Mike Brown turns around. Officer Wilson testified that he saw Mike Brown do a, do a hop as if like an Olympian about to do a long jump. Did you see that? No. What was the look on Mike's face? What was his demeanor in that moment when he's now turned around to face Officer Wilson? Pain and anger. He, he had already been shot for sure once at the car. I witnessed him being shot. The second time was iffy, but it stopped him. And I know for a fact he was shot, so I know he was hurting at that time. And so angry that he's been he's been fired upon and we don't have a weapon. No one's shooting at this officer. We, we're not threatening his life at all, but he's firing a gun at us. The officer, Wilson, testified that his hand was in his waist as he came towards uh, uh, Officer Wilson. You mean Michael Brown? Michael Brown's oh. hand was in his waist as if there might be a gun there. 
He testified that before the grand jury. Do you recall seeing his hand in his waist? His hands were never at his waist. He had on basketball shorts. He he couldn't he couldn't hold anything in his waist. His hands was up. He didn't have a belt on, so it wouldn't it wouldn't stay at his waist. If, even if he did have anything at his waist, it wouldn't stay at his waist. His hands were up. He never plunged at the officer in no type of manner. He was merely trying to explain to the officer that he did not have a weapon, and why are you shooting me? He was saying that. He was about to say and finish it, but he was struck down by a ripple of shots. How far Officer Wilson testified that uh, Mike Brown was 8 to 10 feet from him when he fired his final shot through the site that killed Mike Brown. Does uh, that sound like the right distance? In the, in the moment of, of fearing for my life and, you know, just watching a traumatic, you know, tragic incident, I wasn't aware of the exact feet and yeah, measurements yeah. that they were apart. All I can see is my friend being brutally murdered, and, you know, he couldn't do anything about it. Do you think you were there, and this sounds like a... It sounds like this entire thing went from nothing to death just so fast. And that's consistent in the testimony of Darren Wilson. It's consistent in your testimony. Like, how did this, how did this happen? I, I, I don't know how it happened. I, you know, I wish it could have <laughs> went a different way. You know, it did not have to result in deadly use of force. He did not have to kill him at all. We, he was never threatened that, that much. I, like I said, I never did anything and that made him think that I was going to help. And, you know, he never told me, hey, Dorian, I'm not shooting at you. I'm only shooting at Mike Brown. You know, he, sh he was shooting, and we're running away. Like, we're trying to get away from you, so we're not trying to attack you. We're not threatening you. So Mike like Brown does not rush him at any point. He does not rush him at any point. And important to note, no one is saying this, Officer Wilson is shooting at them as they're running away from him. And, that, and there has been no uh, mention of that by Mr. McCullough when he gave his long soliloquy. He didn't mention that fact, which certainly, certainly points to the fact that that level of force was not justified. You want to know what happened here and how this happened so quickly? It's because Darren Wilson came upon two young men who he didn't value as human beings. And that's how this happened so quickly. Early this morning, police found the body of a man inside a parked car near the Canfield Apartments where Mike Brown was shot and killed, and not too far from where I talked to Dorian Johnson. Although St. Louis County Police said the death is being investigated as a homicide, they would not say how the man died, nor will they identify him at this point, but family members say the man was 20-year-old DeAndre Joshua, and he turns out he was a good friend of Dorian Johnson. You, you found out about Bob McCullough last night. And then a few hours later, your friend was killed, and you found about that this morning? Yeah, I found about that this morning. It's a tragic. He was a, a good kid, man. He was real good. He never did no wrong to nobody. It's, just, it's a tragedy what happened to him. And then given the situation, how we got to stay on topic, I just want to get his opportunity to say, you know, thank you for letting me talk about him. RP again, DeAndre, and I love you. Everybody else, uh, to support him, too, support all the black youth that's dying out here for no reason. We got to stand up for something better. Jordan, thank you very much, and I'm, I'm sorry about your friend. So, Rocco, that was that was very lengthy uh, of an interview by uh, Mr. Dorian Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was interesting. Like I I, I keep on uh, yeah I keep on saying the same thing from different from different perspective. Is that uh, yeah there are clear instances of police brutality, 
Uh, there's reasons we discuss that. There's a huge problem with federalization of police. There's a huge problem with militarization of police. Uh, there's a huge problem with certain training of police that is military in nature, like in New York City, when they have executed people, have gotten yeah. away with it. In this case, again, they love it. Uh, what I would call New World Order, the political elite love it because we don't have all the facts and uh, they can use it to divide us racially. I mean, you look at the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons of the world, uh, they don't talk about the millions of black babies that are aborted, and that's wholly preventable. It's completely right. preventable. Because it's not about the dignity of human life. It's not about caring about people. It's not caring about black people. It's about their power. It's about their power. It's about their position. And it's about trying to destroy the social fabric of society. And that's exactly again, what this sounds like. That's what it's about. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's what this sounded like to me. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, the, the racist angle or whatever, you, you know, people or however they want to put it. Um, but I, I'm just, you know, I'm talking about it for what it's worth, man, for what I see. This sounded like to me, you know, listening to Mr. Johnson, it sounded like to me what we all go through when we're pulled over by most cops today. Or when we when we uh, when we interact with them, from them doing their job, you know, normally they come into the job ready to overdo their job. A lot of the times they're amped up, they're hyped, they're loud, and they're aggressive. And and this just sounded like the same thing, but it also sounded like someone who uh, resisted arrest, a kid who didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah, I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm gonna do what I want to do, like most kids today in society. And, and especially from some elements, you know, we got to call it what it is. And uh, he got pissed off. That's what it sounded like to me. And, you, and they lost control. Could, it could have been. Again, it's one of those things uh, we'll never know, and that's why they uh, they either created this incident or they basically they used it to divide us. But you touched on something before as far as military involvement directly and indirectly with the police. Every every police department is different. Yeah, you know, every sheriff's office is different. In this case, <laughs> the people involved the St. Louis County Police. There's definitely some military involvement. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there was a guy who had been outed. Uh, I have it on my website. I can't remember the guy's name, but he had given a speech in a church at at an Oath Keepers meeting. And he's not a part of Oath Keepers. I support Stuart Rose in that organization because the purpose of Oath Keepers is to remind military and the police that their oath is to the Constitution and they should never obey any legal order. And on one illegal order, there'd be several that could be given at one point. One would be to disarm us. You know, no, no one who's taken an oath to uphold the Constitution should ever obey that illegal order. But in any case, this guy came in. He was military. He, he had been active. Then he was in uh, in the reserves. And uh, he said he said a lot of stuff. And some of it was real, uh, enough of it was fake. But that guy got outed uh, after he gave that speech. He was also working for St. Louis County Police Department. So there you have a guy who was given disinfo, you know, to an Oath Keepers meeting, and then uh, working for the military, and then also work for the St. County, St. County uh, Police Department. So St. Louis County Police Department. Very interesting. A lot of dynamics in this case. A lot of dynamics. What do you what do you see the fallout being uh, uh, going forward? It, it seems like, you know, I, I guess we have bigger fish to fry because we're still living and and you and I are 
oath seekers and truth seekers, man. So, you know, when I look at this incident, I'll, I, I, I have asked some individuals, but I'm going to ask you, where do we go from here? What do you see uh, from here? You know, what do you see the fallout being is something that I always try to ask everybody. And, I mean, let's just face it, folks. You know, in, until we start paying attention uh, to everything that's going on, you know, we'll always continue to be the victims, uh, you know, of, of everyone, everyone's agenda. Uh, those who have a negative agenda will continue to be the people who suffer. You know, we'll continue to be the individuals who are looked at as as racist or as bigots or or as thugs and you know any other name that or any other label that they want to give us you know if we don't start paying attention to the big picture and and taking a second to say you know wait a minute let me just look into this a little bit closer and let's talk about the big picture you know if we don't start telling the truth for what it's worth outside of it being a race issue man we just got to start telling the truth for what it's worth every single time you know, if we don't do that, we're going to continue to lose not only our sons, but our daughters and our mothers and our fathers, and we will be separated. Issues like this definitely separate not only neighbors, uh, but sometimes they separate a family. So, you know, anyway, that that's our time, folks. We are way over on time. I appreciate everybody on the West Coast who's listening live. Again, shout-out to my people on the East Coast who are listening in the bonus hour. Shout-out to everybody out there who are listening to Last Sundays with Rocco P. And, uh, you know, for my brother Rocco Picercia and myself, we appreciate the love that you guys show. And you are always B.I.G. in my book. And we'll catch you guys next week for the KRP Radio Show, baby. Remember, God is love. Love is God. Love somebody. Communication is definitely the key. You always have to communicate. If you want somebody to understand where you're coming from and your angle, you have to at least be able to say, how you doing? How's your day? Have a good time or what may have you. All right, we're out of here, folks. Shout out to everybody out there, man. You B.I.G. in my book, KLP Radio Show, 619-638-8559. Check us out on iTunes. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. We're all over the place, baby. We are out of here. One love. Have a good week.
They did the job, money came with ease But one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease He robbed another and another and a sister and a brother Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic He said, keep still boy, no need for static Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap But little did he know the little boy was strapped The kid pulled out a gun, he said, why'd you hit me? The barrel set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kid he thought to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he cold dashed and ran around a block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. Shot for the head, he shot back, but he missed her. Looked around good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway station. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building. Ran up the stairs up to the top floor. Opened up a door there. Guess who he saw? Dave the dope fiend shooting dope. Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap? He said, I need bullets. Hurry up, run. The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun. He went outside where there was cops all over. Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova. Raced up the block doing 83. Crashed into a tree near university. Escaped alive, though the car was battered. Rat-a-tat tatted and all the cops scattered. Ran out of bullets and he still had static. Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic. Pointed out ahead, he said the gun was full of lead. He told the cops, back off, for honey, here's dead. Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong. So he let the lady go and he starts to run on. Siren sounded, he seemed astounded. And before long, the little boy got surrounded. He dropped his gun, so went the glory. And this is the way I have to end this story. He was only one scene in a madman's dream. The cop shot the kid, I still hear him scream. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Just another case about the wrong path. Straight and arrow are your soldiers. Good night. Knock him out the box, Rick. Knock him out, Rick.